Welcome to Business Conversations with your host, business strategist, Clive Enever. Clive is joined by expert guests as they talk business behind the scenes to give you the tools and insights to support your growth, security, and serenity as you strive for your success. Welcome to another episode of Business Conversations with Clive Enever. I am Clive Enever, business strategist, and we're having a conversation with Karen Tisdale about LinkedIn. An early adopter of LinkedIn, Karen recognised the, the potential of the platform when working as a recruiter. Identifying a niche and foreseeing the importance of how professionals are perceived online, Karen began her LinkedIn profile writing business. A decade on, she has written thousands of profiles for C-level executives and is ranked as one of the top 10 independent LinkedIn trainers across Asia-Pacific. Hello, Karen, and welcome. Hello, it's wonderful to be with you, Clive. An absolute pleasure to have you here. And I've got to admit to our listeners that this is more about me than anybody else because I want to know about LinkedIn. Are we going to talk about your profile, Clive? I did have a peek before we got on the podcast today. Oh, good. And look, I trust you have positive things to say about it. I love your about section. I love your about section. You're one of the few people who starts your LinkedIn about section without talking, I am. You start with a question. And I, I think that's fantastic. But there, there are a few tweaks and changes you could make. I'm glad to hear that because uh, I figured it wasn't the way it should be, but I didn't understand in it essentially what it needed to be. So hopefully I'll ask the right question so that you can tell everybody all your secrets, and we can all get it right. But and then everybody will be looking at your profile to see if you've taken action on my ideas. <laughs> they will. <laughs> I'm, I'm now under the hammer, so to speak. You are a bit. <laughs> but first, tell us about Karen Tisdall. Now, I know that Karen started out uh, in a little town in Western Australia. I'm a WA girl. I always think you can tell people who are from WA. They're probably a bit chattier than most, don't you think? Well, I think they're, they're always chatty. But they're, they're chatty because they're friendly, not because they want to browbeat you. They're just friendly people. Yes. I, I think uh, WA, you know, they call it a WA wait a while. You know, I think it's, it's a place where, you know, you, you go for a business meeting. There's always a long preamble before you sort of get to what it is you you're there to talk about you know you go to the local supermarket and you end up talking with somebody for ages at the counter um you know and I, I live in Sydney now so it's a little bit whenever I go back home which sadly won't be for a while given all of this border thing you know I'm always like oh my gosh the pace of life here is just so <laughs> so slow but that's good I, I think it's much calmer you know yeah I noticed when I was in Perth Karen that it definitely fit, fitted the wait a while scenario because whatever you want had done did take a while. It does. And more importantly, when I, I got back to the east side and needed to deal with the west side, wait a while seemed to get longer and longer and longer. It's just like an element of being super laid back in WA, so, uh, you know, which is, which is good. So, yeah. But, How are you going in Victoria? How are things with you? 
Oh, we, fortunately, because I'm in Bendigo in central Victoria, we're not in the extreme lockdown. We've been really good and not had too much of this COVID-19 thing. And most of us are behaving really, really well. And, of course, uh, it's fair to say that I've been self-isolating for the last 16 or 17 years because I work all around the world with people coaching them in business and I don't have to go anywhere except to my office in my home. Yes. So I cope with it very, very well. Yes. Life hasn't changed too much for you. It's been a big adjustment for a lot of people. And I think that's where, you know, LinkedIn's been so amazing. I mean, my business is up so much this year um, because so many people are sort of going, oh, my gosh, you know, they're they're missing people. They're missing those chats at the water cooler, those conversations in the office foyers. And I think a lot of people are are flocking to LinkedIn uh, to gain that sense of community. But I think also to to prospect for people and and to actually sort of find who it is they want to do business with and that's where i think linkedin has so much potential um so yeah so looking forward yes. to getting your profile critiqued <laughs> <laughs> excellent I, I like the idea so <laughs> you left perth and you went to sydney and then you decided on this idea that you should uh, become a profile writer. Now, what was it that you saw that said to you, this is going to be a big space? What did you see? When I was, I've always had a real interest, and I suspect you do too, especially from the questions you ask people um, and your your fabulous conversation with Katrina Friel around, around human psychology and why people make the decisions they do, particularly buying decisions. That's always really interested me. And so when I was working as a recruiter, it really interested me, my own reactions in terms of when I was reading people's profiles on LinkedIn. Uh, I was a really early adopter of using LinkedIn and using it to headhunt people. And I could see that having that digital reputation would really impact if you were chosen for a, chosen for a job or not. It would impact, you know, if you could secure a client. And I realised that you could reverse engineer your success and not just hunt for people that you wanted to employ, but you could also hunt for people that you wanted to do business with. And you could build referral partners and and that sort of thing. So so it was that idea that really stuck in my head. And I started my business in 2009 while I was on maternity leave with my first child. And um, she would have been about eight weeks old. And I was like, oh, you know, this is just lovely, all this baby gazing, but I miss being part of the business world. And uh, my husband was just appalled. He's like, you can't pack the baby off and go back to work full time. And, and so I, I couldn't sort of figure out how it was all going to work. So, um, so uh, uh, I just sort of started a business from home, just writing LinkedIn profiles and, and it just took off. And then in 2000 and late 2014, um, the AICD asked me to present a couple of uh, topics around LinkedIn. For, so, and that's when I sort of became a LinkedIn trainer because people just started introducing me as a LinkedIn trainer. And I was like, oh, is that what I am? <laughs> so it just, um, you know, my, my journey to entrepreneurship has been a, a little bit accidental, if you like. You know, I've just sort of built it as I've, as I've done it. And for the benefit of those listeners who aren't familiar with it, what's ARDC? Oh, sorry. Um, AICD, Australian Institute of Company Directors. So um, so I've been training people since late 2014, um, teams, sales teams, um, 
uh, I've got one of the job seekers soon, but a lot of it's typically sales teams and helping employees to use LinkedIn because when you take businesses like um, like Telstra, I've flown all around Australia twice with Telstra, uh, training their teams on how to use LinkedIn. So, you know, Telstra's already got a huge footprint, but if they had all of their staff on LinkedIn talking about how amazing Telstra is, their footprint would be even bigger. So, um, so that's where I do a lot of training as well as LinkedIn profile writing. So I really do do the both. Very good. And those early thoughts that you had about this might be the space that I can occupy and essentially at that time you're looking for something to do around your baby rather than necessarily building a business, how's that view changed if indeed it has? Um, well, I'm lucky that it's sort of changed as my children have changed, you know. So I've gone from... Um, having a baby in a baby bajorn in my belly, you know, sort of have these strap-on things um, where, you know, you can strap the baby to you. And I was literally had the computer on an ironing board and it was typing while I'm rocking the baby, you know. So that was sort of the very early days I was writing profiles. And it's grown to, you know, being a, a more than full-time business now, uh, which is challenging um, with my children, you know, but... I also believe, and I've got two daughters, uh, we've got two daughters, and also think it's, you know, it's really great for children to see their parents running their own business. Um, you know, I think all of those business owners that are listening to this podcast now may sometimes sort of think, oh, my gosh, you know, I, we all sort of think, oh, I should have more time with the children. But I also think it's so important that children do see that we are building our own thing. And when we think about their future and the rise of entrepreneurship and people starting their own businesses, you know, we really want children to have that mindset around, you know, if, if you're going to do something, you can build it yourself and it's not an easy journey, but it's very rewarding. So it's most certainly a very, very much a full-time business and has been for oh, about six, seven years now. But I think that the benefit in, in all of that as a parent um, is that they get, to, they get to see your wins. They get to see your losses. You know, I, I share with them some of the things that I've learned, even though they're really young, because I hope that, that you know, one day they'll, they'll start doing something, even if it's just a side hustle, because if there's anything that this year's taught us, um, Clive, I think it's that you know, you can't just be salaried and working for somebody and think that that's secure anymore. You've got to start a business um, and have something that you can fall back on. Indeed. And I remember reading in a particular book many years ago, somebody pointing out that uh, most people look for an employment opportunity and call that security. And yet the only security we have is inside our own head, really, isn't it? It absolutely is. The constructs that we have in our own head are incredible. And, um, you know, so I, I love what I do. I feel very lucky to do it. And I feel lucky that my children see me loving what I do, even if that means that, you know, even on the weekends, you know, I'm sort of following them around with my laptop and while they're at tennis or while they're at golf lessons, you know, I'm there in the clubhouse tapping away and writing profiles. But, you know, I'm doing what I love. So it doesn't feel like work. But I bet your work doesn't feel like work to you either, does it? No, I always enjoy my work because uh, I'm helping people achieve the things, in, in most cases, things that they haven't perceived possible. 
And actually the most wonderful thing, I've got to give you this quote, the most wonderful thing that I get from people is I, I help them find a, a very particular way of expressing who they are so that it's really clear to everybody and people either hear it or they don't. And of course, if they hear it, then they're a potential customer. Mm. Nearly everybody says to me when I when we find the words that are appropriate, they say, but Clive, that can't work because it's too simple. And so I'm I'm able to respond and I usually do. I know. I've been doing this for 40 years. Um, just try for me. And of course they do and, and it works. So it's all great fun. But I'm really interested now in your children seeing what you do. They're enjoying the highs, they're experiencing the, the lows. My then 10-year-old came to me nearly a year ago. Daddy, when can I take over the business? What's going to be your answer? <laughs> I hope. So I, um, I learned really young in my business, really early in my business, that um, there were some things that I just wasn't very good at and that they were best outsourced to people who were very good at it. Uh, my now 11-year-old is very good at technology and I cannot wait, I cannot wait to outsource some of the tech to her. I cannot <laughs> wait to be in a hole, you know, darling, I can't figure out why my computer won't do this. Can you just fix it for me? And my other one, my nine-year-old, so she watches YouTube and I have to be careful of what she watches. Some of it's I'm a bit appalled by. But anyway, moving on from that, um, I can't wait until she's editing my videos, you know. So I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm lucky. I've got a few part-timers who do bits and bobs. I've got very well supported by a team in the Philippines um, who are safely working from home and that's been fantastic in helping me to grow my business. Um, but I can't wait to, to outsource some of the things. You know, forget the idea about packing the dishwasher. Can you just go and edit a few videos for me? You know, that that's that's my future. That's where I'm looking for. I'll be like the matriarch and they'll be doing all of the, the stuff that they love doing that I'm not very good at. That's, Indeed. That's Bring it on. They're, yeah. They, they have the opportunity to learn so much and... Yeah, I think it's really important, as you pointed out earlier, that they are seeing the highs, they're seeing the lows, they're experiencing all of these things and getting a, a good view of the world uh, and how the world operates rather than just the view inside of school. So mm -hmm. not, not that there's anything wrong with the view inside of school. They're absolutely wonderful places and I probably wish I'd had more time in one, but <laughs> the world beckoned and I went. <laughs> Yes, and I so, think following what you're good at, you know, sort of really keeping your eye on what you're good at and where your skills are. And, uh, you know, I tend to think of life as just a whole series of Venn diagrams, you know, what does the world need and what are your talents and where's that overlap, you know, and I, I think that's where I'm already looking at my children's interests in one in video, the other in technology. And she's actually interested in programming technology and how it really works. So that's why I haven't... I've already earmarked her to be my, my <laughs> you know, so sort of, you know, where is their genius zone? Now, I, I love what you said earlier. You said um, part of what you do with clients is helping to make their message really simple. And I think with a lot of LinkedIn profiles, I think a lot of people create their LinkedIn profiles talking about how they're a shiny unicorn and, and they're using all these buzzwords, all this business bubble that they think they need to use. 
and they're often confusing people about what it is they actually do. So, um, yeah, so I just, just something you said there, I just think it's so, I always say to my clients, I don't use the word simple, I always say clarity is key. Mm. You know, you don't think that, you know, less is more. You know, you shouldn't have sort of five different messages. Oh, I do this and this and this and this and this. Keep it really clear. You know, have a very clear, these are the clients I serve, these are the problems I solve, and this is the outcome so that you can expect from me the transformation. Um, and that's what I liked about your own profile is, you you know, you talk to that transformation that clients can expect from dealing with you. And I think that's so important. I think you have to have a very clear message, especially on social media, because social media is like, you know, um, oh, I don't know. It's, it's, I, I, so I'm picturing like a really crowded supermarket. It's like sort of a, a supermarket on steroids where you've got sort of videos and it's all happening. You know, you need to have a clear message so that people go, that's what I need. I'm going to buy that. Absolutely. And, uh, of course, if we, we take your crowded supermarket and just put it to the uh, person on the soapbox on the corner shouting at the crowd walking past, there's 20, 30, 40 different messages because the spruker believes that they have to attract a big number from this, this mass moving past. The wonderful thing I find about the world, particularly the world of business, but it happens in you know, everything else as well, the message attracts the right person regardless of what the message is. So if you are attracting the wrong person, you have the wrong message, make the message the appropriate message. You never have to worry about where your clients are coming from because they all hear it, they all turn up, and there is a multitude of them. Yes. As you pointed out, there, many people are using buzzwords. Um, lots of people seem to want to say at the moment that they are authentic. Mm. One thing I've learned about people is that if you are authentic, you don't have to say so. Yes. So how do you help people find the right words? Because most of us can't find the right words for ourselves. We keep getting in our way. There's something to do with the letters E-G-O or something. Yeah. I, I love uh, you said, how do we find the right words for ourselves? And I think in that sentence is, is the problem and the answer. Um, I think so often people write their LinkedIn profile for themselves. How do I want to appear for to me? How do I want to see myself? And they think this is like a resume, except that it's going to attract clients. So it's just, you know, and how do I want to be seen to me? And that's the wrong lens. It's all as you just said. It's, you know, if you're doing that, then you're talking to the wrong person. You're that. You're standing on the soapbox in the corner talking about how amazing you are. What could be more off-putting than that, you know? Um, instead, we need to talk to our audience. So who are our ideal clients? What do they need? What do they like? And going back to that Venn diagram, where does that intersect with where our talents are? What are the problems we love solving? Why do we love solving them? And talk to those problems, but talk to them from your client's perspective. 
So I don't like LinkedIn profiles that start with I am or I have 25 years and I am an extraordinary, you know, because then if we think of LinkedIn as um, that person standing on the street corner, you're just talking about yourself. But if you're standing on a street corner and you're not spraying and praying, you're not shouting out different messages hoping you'll attract a huge varied crowd, you're just shouting out one message to one specific audience group about one specific problem, then you've got pull marketing, not push marketing. Then you've got people who say, oh, my gosh, I'm that person and those are my problems. So I think um, you counterintuitively, if we narrow who we're trying to appeal to, we'll actually get more clients. And I say counterintuitively because, you know, your background's in sales, right? Well, my background's in sales too. Um, I Do you remember World Book Encyclopedia? I so, remember World Book Encyclopedia. Yeah, so when I came back from England, so I went to England um, for a gap year and came back like, uh, four years later and uh, yeah there went my education the education of life and I I came back to WA with a lot of sales skills and no driver's license so I held down two telemarketing jobs selling world book encyclopedias and selling roof restoration so I, I know people won't even know if you're young and you're listening to this they'll be like sorry What's an encyclopedia? It's a type of book. So anyway, it's before Google existed. And uh, so I was selling them. And I think as a salesperson, I had this idea for years that I had to appeal to everybody. I had to be like a chameleon. I had to be liked. I, I had to always say yes to my clients. And I think as a business owner, I've learned, and I'm interested in knowing if you have too, you know, because you're such an expert in the sales and the, the business mentorship. It's about learning not to say yes and what to say no to. And very weirdly, as I say almost counterintuitively, that actually gets you more business with the right message. The right message has got to be clear and it's got to be client focused. You're absolutely right. And uh, it's probably not so much about uh, not saying yes as learning how to say no yes. and being able to use that appropriately, which which all comes back to actually understanding precisely what the right words are. And if we understand what the right words are, we're able to say those to somebody. And, of course, very often in business, when you say, I do one, two, three, the, the potential customer, because if they're a customer, you're in strife, but the potential customer, uh, might say, but what I really want is one, two and a half and four. Now, most people, of course, are quite happy to say, well, one, two and a half and four won't work because where one, two and a half and four might work perfectly for what the person wants. And they're also inclined to say, but no. And then you, the, you have this conversation of angst between two people where you should be having a simple conversation of encouragement for example i explain to people that i do one two three and they explain to me that they want one two and a half and four mm. i explain again that i do one two and three and after a number of times of this they either agree that one two and three is pretty dash good or they leave 
Yes. Now, I haven't had to get into the negative country. I've stayed precisely on, on song, as it were. I talk about what I do, which I help people with. That person doesn't want that help. That's absolutely fine. I just saved myself a customer service issue. Yeah. And so, yeah, and if they only get half of that too, they often come back. Sometimes people say, oh, I don't want all the coaching on LinkedIn. I mm. just want you to write me a really great profile and I don't want you to train me on how to use LinkedIn because I already know everything. And then they come back to me and they're like, oh, I had it written elsewhere. I wasn't really happy, happy and I can't figure out how to do this. You know, so, um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And, and that's right. And there are ways of, of uh, avoiding that circumstance. And very often the reason we get into that circumstance is because we think we have to be good uh, good people and say yes to the customer every time. Because apparently the gurus tell us that the customer is always right. And I can tell you that the customer is always right until they understand that perhaps there's an alternative. Yeah. <laughs> and it's our job to express what we do. And if people don't like it, that's absolutely fine. Um, I have plenty of people with whom I'm friendly or at least acquaintance of who don't use my services. That's fine. I don't tell them how to do their stuff. They don't tell me. Mm -hmm. And as a result, we get on quite well. So, you found that these circumstances can arise. You saw them, but you took action about it. You didn't go, golly, this is my lot. I'm going to have people only using half of my services and then going, whoopee-doo, you didn't do the whole job. <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> yes. How did you overcome that? Oh, it's been such a journey. It's been such a journey for me. You know, I made so many wrong turns. I, I thought I had to be all things to all people. I, I think actually, frankly, I think it was being very close to burnout. Um, I, I, didn't, I didn't experience burnout. I have never experienced burnout. Um, but I, I have a bias for action. I'm a real doer. So barely has an idea crossed my mind. Um, uh, my husband would argue sometimes it hasn't even fully crossed my mind. It's just starting to emerge and boom, I've already started taking action on it. Uh, so that means that I'm an early adopter. I'm quick to do things. Uh, it also means that um, I need to plan. You know, I don't always plan as much as I should because I've already started gaining momentum. I've already started moving. So it, it's, you know, uh, I wrote, uh, wrote an article a little while ago um, about gaining traction on LinkedIn and in the article, you know, I just said, you know, it's taken 11 years to be an overnight success. And, and that sort of got picked up and quoted by all these other people going, oh, my gosh, Karen, you know, like we see you sort of everywhere on LinkedIn. Um, but, yeah, it's taken 11 years. And 11 years of making a lot of wrong turns, a lot of I need to be all things to all people, a lot of times burning out um, or, or being close to burning out. And just I, I think I'm so lucky to write LinkedIn profiles for a lot of coaches, a lot of people who run their own business. And a lot of these coaches have areas of specialty. So whether that's process optimization or they're uh, absolute marketing wizards, um, you know, and, and so uh, project management. So a lot of different coaches have given me little pieces of advice as I've moved along. Um, 
But those pieces of advice have typically come when I'm already at a crisis point. If I had invested in a coach like yourself earlier, um, you know, and I, and I mean that, you know, if I, I, I probably would have saved myself about five years of my journey. <laughs> probably would have been where I am now about five years ago. But, um, you know, I didn't know what questions to ask. So it was only when, you know, different clients were saying things to me that I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. I shouldn't be all things to all people. I should actually say, you know, and that, you know, if you had, if you do uh, one, two and three, um, and not one, two and a half and three, you know, then you've got a model, you've got a, a process and every single client means that that process gets better and better and better. If you do one and three and then only two and a half and then one and four and you've never tackled four before, you're not, you're not growing your expertise. You're kind of all over the place. And, um, <laughs> to take it back to motherhood, that must be like having lots of different children where, you know, you, you parent one differently to the other, to the other, to the other, to the other. It's not scalable. It's not, it's not repeatable. And there's a lot of energy expended, I think, if you've got, you know, don't you think, Clive, you know, I think if you're, if you're doing just a, some things that actually solve the client's problem and, and they're refined and every client is making that process and making your work just better and better and better. The sky's the limit. But if you're all over the place, and it just took me ages to see that, to be honest, ages. You're absolutely right. And look, to highlight the point, I'll, I'll tell a little story about somebody I worked with some years ago. Uh, cutting a very long story very short, they had, when they when explained to me what their product was, which was actually a service, um, I thought, wow, this is absolutely fantastic. And then we went further into it and, and I discovered that these people would, uh, they were at the point, uh, as you said, you, you arrive at a point of, uh, well, total confusion, I guess, and you're not sure whether you're going to go on or whether you're going to fold or, or whether you, your mind is going to burst out of you like one of those springs that sprung its bit. <laughs> mm. But uh, they were at a point of, do we keep going or do we just give up because they'd been doing it for 12 years? And they would spend three hours talking to a prospect and they would close or sell one, of, uh, one in 10. And I did refuse to ask if they bored the other nine to death. But anyway. <laughs> oh gosh. Um, and so it went and so it went. So the, the outcome of going through the process that I take people through was that at the end of that, they would spend no more than 45 minutes speaking with the prospect. And at the end of that 45 minutes, they would have a sale or they would leave. And they closed one in 2.8. It meant that across the next year, they, they made the same number of sales as they'd made in the previous 12 years. Where did all those prospects come from? Ah, they were actually speaking the right language so that the people would hear and go, that's what I want. Yes. And, you know, just on, on the, the numbers, it meant that they multiplied their revenue times 20 and their income times 30 and along the way employed four people. That's in one year. Mm -hmm. So these moments of pain that many of us you know, pull up to 
and go, golly gee, this is frightening, and run away, if we can find a way to get through, the other side is where all the gold is. So you've got to ask the questions. And as you said earlier, you didn't know what questions to ask. And Mm -hmm. therein lies the, the conundrum. I know I should ask questions, but I don't know what questions to ask because every time I ask a question, I get the same answer. Mm. You've actually got to look back. What does it mean? It means you're asking the same question and you're asking the same people. You've actually got to step outside and go, I need help. Put my hand up. Please, somebody help. Because the wonderful thing about people is they generally go, can I help? Mm. And you're off. So... You've moved along very nicely now. You're you're travelling well. You've got your your two uh, t- trades assistants in in training. In training. <laughs> well, You've got be. a remote team that are supporting you in in what you do, so that you can you've scaled to a degree. You can do more than a person can do. Where are we going to end up, Karen? I have no plans to sell my business. I love what I do. And, um, you know, for me, you know, what I've done this year in realising that I didn't even know what questions to um, ask, in realising that I have taken a very convoluted path to where I am now, this year I have made a concerted effort um, to do quid pro quos with different people. So um, there's been a couple of people I've approached and then there have been clients who've just come into my life at at the very time that I was thinking, I really need to fix up all of my branding and the look and feel of my logo and everything like that. And along comes somebody who's got that specific skill. So I've done a lot of quid pro quos this year and uh, one of the business coaches I worked with has put a lot of ideas in my head around annuity products and things like that. So just um, having some additional services that sit alongside what I do, um, such as uh, having a service where uh, once a month you get a written report on how your posts have been doing on LinkedIn. And I'm not talking about whether they've had lots of likes and comments because they don't, you know, likes and comments don't actually pay the bills. It's not about being popular, but it's actually about crafting posts that work and that pull attention to your profile. So you already know how much attention you're getting on your profile, but do you know if the posts you're putting out are great? So, um, so I've just got a simple checklist that my team in the VA, in my VAs in the Philippines are just looking at your posts every week you know, it doesn't have a question, you're not using hashtags, you know, uh, you haven't used more than five lines, so it's not triggering Seymour. Um, you know, how are you laying out your posts and are you using that framework? And then, you know, at the end of that month, you can have a written report and or you could have a conversation with me and I'll just sort of set you back on that right track of creating really great posts that pull attention to you. So it's that pull marketing. So I've developed a couple of products like that. Um, and this and next year, I'm just looking at, at growing even those even more. I have thought about a franchise model. So I think that's something that else that I could look at long term. But Clive, I think people go into business for two reasons. Uh, maybe it's three or four, but to me it seems two. And that seems to be money. Or it seems to be lifestyle. And 
I, I love that I get paid so much to do what I, I love. I don't know if I need tons and tons of money. My husband would probably say, yes, we do. <laughs> but he's like, I really want you to buy me a Lamborghini, a yellow Lamborghini. And I'm like, really? I don't think so. But anyway, <laughs> that, that, that'd be a lot of scaling. But to me, I, I, you know, my business is a lifestyle business. You know, I want to get paid very well for doing what I love and, and working the hours I do, which are quite long. I, I don't, I, you know, I think if I scale my business even more and, set up little franchises and things that I could do things that I could do well um I don't know if I would be enjoying myself as much as I am now uh, what the future also has to involve is I, I think you know having listened to um <laughs> Katrina Friel uh your podcast with her oh my gosh such a good episode everybody needs to go to stop and look at that episode such a, an amazing episode I really need to write a book. I really, and I actually reached out to Katrina and said, oh my gosh, your podcast with Clive was just so fantastic. And she is like, oh, thank you so much. That's really sweet. And then there was like a pause. And then she came back with another message on LinkedIn and she said, let me know if you ever want to have a chat about anything. I'm like, ooh, <laughs> it could help you to write a book. <laughs> I might well have to go to one of her book camps. So I think that's my future. I think I've got to write a book and maybe grow my business or maybe not. Maybe not. What do you think? Do you think people have a couple of different types? Of, do you think they go into business for a few different reasons? Because I'm sort of stuck in this whole, oh, I could scale my business and I could scale it because that's the rhetoric we hear, Clive. You know, especially on LinkedIn, how to grow, you know, and I've always got all these great ideas around growth. But I have to stop and stay centred and go, who are you in business for? You know, and it's actually for my children. You know, do I want to be working such huge hours that I don't get to see them at all? You know, do you think people go into business for different reasons? What, what do you reckon? Oh, look, there's a whole host of reasons that people give you why they go into to business. Uh, and I think of all those years ago when I opened my first business, um, I did so because I figured I could do it better than my mate down the road. Yeah. And I did. But... I had to go and him go and see him and ask him how to run a business. <laughs> so, and yes, I hear all sorts of reasons why people go into business, and much of it has to do with uh, time. That is, they want time for themselves; they can have a life or whatever it is. One of the things that I you say a lot to a lot of people is the very first thing a business should give you is a life. If it's not giving you a life, you better go and talk to somebody or just run away because yeah. if you give up your life, you're in trouble. The time aspect, most people, when they get into business, the very first thing that goes out the door is time. Mm. So there are a lot of reasons, but uh, for goodness sake, if you're running a business and you haven't got time or you don't have a life, talk to somebody. Yes, yeah. I'm pretty handy. It's a it's a tough road that you you'll road you'll ride with me, but it's enjoyable. And at the other end, it's a heck of a lot of fun. Yeah, <laughs> you don't know what you don't know. You don't even see what questions to to ask. And I think for me, you know, I had this whole, you know, I'm, I'm not going to put money behind anything unless I can see, you know, a return on that money or on that time. And it, it wasn't until, I, I know one of your favourite quotes, and it's actually one of mine, it's something we have in common, is the Abraham Lincoln quote, you know, give me an hour to cut down a tree and I'll yeah. spend 45 minutes sharpening the saw. I 
love that quote. And as somebody who has such a bias for action, I keep it front in my mind around stop, plan, look at everything, you know. And and another quote that I love that I think you might like too is um, it, there's a, a, a good businessman, it's a bit of a sexist quote, but a good businessman spends money to save time and a bad businessman spends time to save money. And it was that for me, that was my light bulb moment. That was my, oh my gosh, you know, I'm already outsourcing a lot because I can see what I'm good at and I can see what I can't. So, um, you know, my team created all of those beautiful background banners. Yours is just the default blue, by the way. You could change that. You could put a picture of you podcasting or something in the background. Um, have you written a book too? You could have a picture of a book. If you Have you written a book? I, I do have a book. You can access uh, via my website. <laughs> right. So you could have a picture of your book in your background mm-hmm. banner, you know, all sorts of things. So, so anyway, so I have a graphic design team who do that. Um, but I didn't spend enough time until the last uh, probably last two years around thinking how do I spend money to save time because time is the it's it's what we're so short of these days if we're doing well we have a uh, whilst it might be a, a construct this idea of time we actually have a deficit or a, at least a finite amount of it that we can access so it's really important to understand what it is that you as you've just outlined what do I do that's so good that if I do more of it, it's going to generate more? And, okay, as soon as I do some of that, there's a whole bunch of other stuff that needs to be done, which I'm presently doing, which is stopping me from doing what I'm really, really good at. Let's recognise those things and get somebody else to do it. One of the interesting things about most of us is that nobody can do it as well as us. And whilst we all know that that's true, get over it. Yeah. And nothing kills a great process. I'm so lucky that uh, so many of my clients um, often come from that technical background, you know. So when I first, not so much now, I think now a lot of them are business coaches, but I think a lot of my clients when I first started my business came from uh, that project management, technical engineering, uh, very clever people who just hate writing, you know, typically quite good at the numbers, good, good with technology, um, just they just don't like writing and they especially hate writing about themselves. So that's where I come into the play. And I've learned so much from my clients. You can kill anything with a great process. So that all comes back to that Abraham Lincoln. You've got an hour to cut down a tree, spend 45 minutes planning, you know, sharpening that saw. And so, yeah, I really think that's the magic zone is thinking about how you can do things smarter and how every client can make your business better rather than dilute what you're doing and what gives you energy. I think there are certain tasks, um, you know, I've never edited my own videos and, um, and people have told me it's very simple and people have said that to me repeatedly. Oh, it's so simple, Karen. You could easily edit your own videos. And I'm like, I hate looking at myself. It's rather stick pins in my eyes. You know, it's just excruciating for me. So what drains your energy? Give it to somebody else, you know? So, yeah, all comes back to that, that managing your time and managing your energy, I think, is really crucial. And as far as the videos go, you've got a perfect apprentice coming on, so... I hope so. I hope so. I haven't told her yet. I haven't told her yet. I haven't got her to cut any videos, but I, I have I have actually paid. Uh, she's got the paid version of Canva and I've already set her up with a few tools. So I'm already 
I think the word is grooming. I'm really grooming out into that path. We'll see. Karen, we could spend so much more time chatting here because I am learning so much from you and about you, but time is against us. Before I let you go, what is the best tip you have received from a business conversation? I have had three pieces. If I think of all of the different pieces of advice, um, including that, uh, you know, a wise business person spends um, time to save money. My, my three biggest pieces of advice is I worked with somebody years ago when I was a recruiter. I worked for her twice and I praised her when I was about 24 or something. I said, oh, my gosh, you're such an amazing manager. Like, look at how you coordinate everything. You're incredible. And she said, no, I'm not. And I said, yes, you are. You are so amazing. She said, I'm not. I said, you are. You're, you're just so... And she said, no. She said, my dad was a truck driver. I'm functionally illiterate. I'm not that clever. She said, that's why I have you, because you're good at writing. So that's why I get you to do all my writing. And he's very good at maths and she's very good at this. And she said, I employ people who are cleverer than me and I'm just, you know, I'm just pulling the strings. So that was a fantastic piece of advice for me is, you know, if you're not, if editing videos drains your energy, hustle it to somebody else, you know. So, so it was a really great piece of advice really early in my career and it's, it's just been an absolute game changer for me. Uh, when my husband did an MBA, he came back from one of his classes talking about uh, ROI. And, and we're going back about 15 years now. So nobody was talking about ROI, return on investment, 15 years ago. And he'd, he'd learned it, all about it in his MBA. And he said, you know, we need to think about ROI of time. What's the return on investment and time? So that would be my second piece of advice is always sitting down and going, is this the best use of my time? Or could somebody else do this for cheaper and allow me to do what I want to do? So that was my second. Um, and my third piece of advice, which really, um, I want to use the word pivot, but that's such a cliched word these days. Isn't it? <laughs> oh, it's such a terrible word, pivot. Everybody's pivoting. Um, but um, so forgive that word. Sorry. Uh, I hope you can excuse bad language on your show, the word pivot. Uh, but a few years ago, uh, Christopher Patterson and James Bawtry in the same week that I was just hitting a wall with so much work on. They both said to me on separate conversations in the same week, a few days apart, what's getting in the way of you doing what you really want to do? And so I think that, that for me, that's really what I live by day to day now is what's getting in my way from me achieving what I want to do. And when I'm talking to clients, I don't do business coaching like you at all. I'm, I think I'm a terrible business coach. Um, because a great coach leads to the answer, doesn't just tell them, right? And uh, so I just write profiles. But when I'm working with clients, sometimes we'll encounter sort of, they'll talk about a business problem. I'm like, what's getting in the way of that? And, and it's often, it's just yourself, you know, or, and it, if it's not yourself, it helps them to identify what the issue actually is. Um, so that would be my third. For me, it's been an absolute game changer to think what's getting in the way of me doing that and I don't just think about it actually sit down and write it down I put that question down and in a piece of paper and I just brainstorm from there perfect perfect 
Sorry, long answer, but it's such a good question, Clive. It's such a good question. Ah, and good questions get good answers, and that was a good one. What is the top piece of advice you would like to leave listeners with today, Karen? Oh, I hope this conversation hasn't been too circular, but I really do think it is to get a business coach. Don't wait until, don't do what I do and I did and wait until you know what the question is and then go seeking an expert who can provide you with that answer. I think like anything in life, it's better to do when you're not quite ready and that will help you to get ready. So seek a business coach. I think people who do what you do, who help people to refine their message, the clarity that you get from that yourself is just, it's worth gold. It will save you years of business and it can even save your business. So my single piece of advice, get a business coach. Pick up the phone to Clive. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah, really, truly. I, I think, you know, I think it's so needed. I wish I had done it years ago. Um, but at least I got where I, where I am, but it's just been such a convoluted journey. Indeed. It can smooth the path. That's absolutely right. But most importantly, Karen, how can our listeners connect with you to start their own business conversation? On LinkedIn. You've got to find me on LinkedIn. <laughs> key to that is to remember how to spell my last name so it is uh, you said you pronounced it correctly so it's karen tisdell so it's t-i-s-d-e-l-l karen tisdell so just put search in linkedin for that there are a couple of karen tisdells not many of us um if you search further by clicking on country in australia you will find me i think i'm one of only two karen tisdells in australia and i rank higher there you go and uh, i encourage you all Karen Tisdell on LinkedIn and Karen Tisdell on LinkedIn. <laughs> Absolutely. You'll find me there. Search me. Fantastic. I really loved being on your show, Clive. It's such a great podcast. Absolute pleasure to have you, Karen. And I'm pretty sure that we will have you back another day because there's more to your story. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Greatly appreciated. Thanks for listening to another episode of Business Conversations with Clive Enever. Make sure you subscribe to future episodes via your favourite podcast app and you can find more business resources at cliveenever.com.au.